I want to I'll dismiss all of our uh, elementary age students to go with Pastor Josh uh, for our Sundays for your Sunday school lesson. He's at the back. He's waiting on you. Pastor Josh is there. We are in our study on the book of Acts. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. We're calling this series Multiply. A study through the book of Acts. So let's, let's think about here. Let's review where we've been. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, it says, he's risen from the dead and he is speaking to his disciples, the, the 11 at the time, because Judas has betrayed him, committed suicide, and he tells them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem, and then you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And you, based on the power that you receive on the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, get ready, I'm sending you out for mission. And then we see the reconstitution of the twelve. Because they get together, they're all with one accord, they're praying, those 11 apostles, and then they're with the rest of the disciples um, that, that are not the apostles. And he's, they say, listen, Judas did what he did, we need to replace him. And so they choose Matthias to be the replacement. And so now we're back at 12 apostles. And then, so number one, in chapter one, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of that promise on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that it was on the day of Pentecost that they were all together. And, and then the Holy Spirit came and he filled them and they were speaking in tongues of foreign languages. And, and, and then as they were doing this, there were people in Jerusalem at the time because it was Pentecost and it was a major festival at the time. And so based on that, there were Jews from all around the world there. When they came there, because these men were spirit-filled, or these people were spirit-filled, they heard these people speaking in their own native language about the mighty works of God. These unlearned, uneducated Galileans are speaking in tongues or, or in known foreign languages. And, and they say to themselves, well, what's going on? What's happening that we're able to hear these people in their own, in our own native tongue? One group says, oh, they're just full of new sweet wine. They can't hold a grape juice. And so in this next section of scripture, Peter is going to stand up and we're going to hear him explain the meaning of Pentecost, the meaning of Pentecost. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. As it is, our custom here at the Bridge Church is to stand when we hear the reading of God's word in honor 
and reverence to the holy word of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It's on the screen for you as well. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel. Hear these words. This is Peter now speaking again. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified. You killed him by the hands of lawless man. God raised him up, though. Loosen the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held down by. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this day, that poured out this that yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are 
afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Time is far spent, so let me just jump right into this thing. First thing we see here in this first section, verses 14 through 21, is Peter giving the explanation of Pentecost. He gives us the explanation of Pentecost. He opens by saying, wait, 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 you got it all wrong. They ain't drunk. It's just 9 a.m. Now, if it was 10 a.m., I don't know what he would have said. He says, but it's just 9 a.m. They can't be drunk already. Here's what you have to understand. The Jewish day started at 6 a.m., which means three hours later, it would have been 9 a.m. Now, here's what you also have to understand about Jewish uh, culture. 6 to 9 a.m. was specifically devoted to God, and they did not consume anything between 6 and 9 o'clock in the morning. So, so Peter is arguing, he says, the fact that they have not consumed, that it's 9 a.m. means they haven't consumed anything. So it's impossible for them to be drunk, which means that there must be some other explanation for why these men have been speaking, speaking to you in your own language. And then he says, here's what's really happened. It's not that they're drunk. They've just been filled with the Spirit. He, in other words, look with me. He cites Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. He says, what's really happening, it's, the clue is in verse 17. He says, in the last days it shall be, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The fact that all of these people from all over the earth have received the Holy Spirit is evidence that we are now in the last days. That's what Peter is arguing. He, he's saying that the last days, which is that period of time where God's judgment comes on all people, God pours out his wrath on the wicked, and the righteous are redeemed by that promised Messiah. He, he says we are now in a, this, the fact that the Messiah has come, he's died as the suffering servant, and now the Spirit has been poured out means that we are experiencing the dawning of a new age. We, we are now in a new era of time. We, we are now in that time where God is uh, implementing the, his final saving reign. And these are the last days. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he inaugurated the last days that were foretold by the Old Testament prophets. So essentially, Peter is saying, what we're experiencing is the fulfillment of prophecy. Everything that the prophets prophesied is now starting to come true. And let me make sure you understand something. The last days, this new era, the, the last days have been inaugurated, but not yet consummated. They, they're, they've begun, but they're not yet finished. That's a hallelujah, by the way, too. He, he, Peter, he goes on to say that the pouring out of the Spirit, according to Joel, it, it happened without respect to gender 
age or class. Notice in verse 17, he said that the Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. Now, let me give you something of an uh, interpretive clue here. Whenever you see all, let the context determine what all means. When he says all flesh, he means on all kinds of people. First of all, he says the spirit is going to be poured out without respect to gender because it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now let's stop. Let, let, let's talk about what that means first of all. Let me say this. Many people have used this verse as justification for why women should preach. Okay? This verse by the way, my goal is not to convince you whether women should preach or not. That's not the goal of this text or the goal of this sermon. I want to make sure we as a church know that that's not what this verse is talking about. He, when he says prophesy, he's referring to what happened earlier in the passage when all these men and women began to speak in tongues of foreign languages about the mighty works of God. That's what he's talking about here when he says prophesy. They're going to speak for God and they're going to speak about God. Now we all can do that. So that's what this verse is talking about. He says not only am I going to pour that on men and women, but there, no longer will age be a barrier because your young man going to see vision. And your old men will dream dreams. Yeah, yeah. And all of this happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He says not only will there be no respect to gender, but not only will there be no respect to age, but there will no longer be any respect to class when it comes out to the pouring of the Holy Spirit. Because he says both male and female servants, those on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic status poll. He, said, he says they're going to receive the Holy Spirit too. And that we'll have the ability to speak for God. And so Peter is saying we're seeing the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophet by Joel. Then he gets into verse 19 and 20. Now, y'all want me to talk about dark suns and bloody moons. Here's what, essentially what he's saying. That he's saying that these things that happen... On the great day of the Lord are evidence of God's wrath, of God's judgment because of sin. Verse 19 and 20, church, it's evidence that the wrath of God is real. God's wrath is the result of sin. Here's the point. God has to deal with sin. Now, here's the thing. Anybody who's hearing Peter say that these are the last days and we're going to see God's wrath come, come about, will be terrified. They ought to be terrified. And they would want to know, what do I do to escape God's wrath on that great day? Verse 21, there's your answer. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, to escape God's wrath 
A person simply needs to just cry out to the Lord, make an appeal to the Lord through Jesus Christ. That's what being saved is all about. It's being saved from the wrath of God. Romans 5 and 9 is is a reference there. My brother and my sister, that is our greatest need, to be saved from God's wrath. What's the significance of this for us today? Here's the significance. We are living in the last days, church. Just turn on your television in the morning or in the evening. And it won't take you long to see we're living in the the last days. And so my brother and my sister, if you are not sure of your salvation, that you will be saved from the wrath of God, I urge you to call upon that name that is above every name. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And there's an application for the saved too. The last days are here. And so what we need to do is stay ready. I got to get out of here. We, we see the explanation of the Pentecost by Peter. But then in this next next section, we see the proclamation of the gospel by Peter. Peter now is going to make a case that since these last days have been ushered in through what God the Father has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The last days have been ushered in through what God the Father has done through his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to take note of what I just said. This section is about what God the Father has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the significance. The gospel begins with God. The gospel ends with God. The gospel is about God and specifically what he's done through his son. Eight times in this section, verses 26 through 36, we see some form of the proper noun theos, which means God in the Greek. Eight times in this section, he specifically says God. The focus is about what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. So then, what does Peter say God has done then? First, verse 22, he's proven that Jesus is the Messiah. He, he's proven that Jesus is the Christ. Look at verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. How has God proven him that Jesus is the Messiah? Through all the miracles that Jesus performed through the mighty works, through, through the signs. And all those things he did was in your midst. He, he did them. You know what he did firsthand, or at least secondhand, because you heard about his reputation. Therefore, what Peter is intimating is that there, you have no excuse for your unbelief and your rejection of Jesus as the promised Messiah of Israel. Because God, has, he's attested, he's, he's declared, he's proven that Jesus is his son. That suffering servant that Isaiah foretold about. 
What else has God done? God, God, God also planned everything that would happen to Jesus. Ooh, that makes me uncomfortable. Look at verse 23. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The, the death of Christ, church, was for the appointed purposes of God. God knew what would happen to his own son. Calvary did not catch God by surprise. God predetermined it. Why? So he could save a people for himself. Church, this, this verse confirms the sovereignty of God. In other words, this confirms that God is controlled because he is supreme. He, he does as he pleases. God is directing everything that happens in his creation. Church, church the sovereignty of God means that, that there's not a molecule in the universe that's not being directed by the hand of God. And the significance of this is that God is either directing or permitting everything that happens, even the horrible, tragic, bad things that happen to you. They may catch you by surprise, but they don't catch God by surprise. God has a way of using your story for his glory. God has a way of using your pain for his glory and for our good. God used the evil. He uses evil for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, now, if God is sovereign, and he is, and he predetermined, he foreknew that, then it would seem to mean that men would not be held responsible for their actions. It, it would make it seem that because God is sovereign, that men are not responsible for crucifying Jesus on the cross. Peter deals with this paradox. Peter deals with this tension for us right here in this text. He, he says in verse uh, 23, he says, yes, God predetermined it and God foreknew it. But by the way, you, thank you. Help me preach this name. You crucified him. Watch this. He says, you killed him. You, you are guilty of murder. God holds us responsible for our actions, church. God uses the evil of men for his own good purposes. So, so God here, he, he proved that Jesus was the Messiah. He planned this whole thing. But watch this thirdly. What else has God done? God raised him up. Okay, I don't have time to work real hard, so y'all gonna have to get on board this train. This makes it very clear that the resurrection came about through the power of God. God took the initiative to raise his own son from the dead. By the way, the text makes it very clear that there was no way for Christ to remain dead. He says it was impossible. For death to hold him down. I'm waiting on y'all this time. The text says it was impossible 
for death to hold him down. Church, here's the good news of the gospel is that death has been defeated. And as believers, we have no reason to fear death. Here's the truth about death. Death is a defeated enemy. And so that we can stand uh, up flat-footed and we can declare, death, you've been swallowed up in victory. So death, where is your victory? De death, where, where is your sting? And the good news, church, is that the same victory that Christ had over death is the same victory that's been transferred to us. And so then in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Paul says, here's the application of this truth. You ought to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor, church, is not in vain. I heard you say that earlier, Camille. You said your labor is not in vain. I said, all right, it's preaching time now. Church, we, we ought to be steadfast, immovable, working. What, what, what work, Brandon? Let's look at verse 32. He, he, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up, uh-oh, and of that we are all Witnesses. Here's that word again. You're going to see this throughout Acts. This theme of witnessing. That, that's how we apply this church. We, we, we need to tell this world that Jesus came, lived a perfect life. He was crucified on the cross. He was buried, but on the third day he rose with all power. That's what we are, to tell the world. And that if they would respond to him, they can be saved from God's wrath. We, we ought to be witnesses, church. If for, no either, if for no other reason, because everyone will be judged on the great day of the Lord. You, have, you ought to have enough love in your heart even for your worst enemy. To tell them about Jesus. Fourthly, what, what else has God done? Fourthly, the text teaches us that, that, that God also has exalted Jesus. That word exalt means to be lifted up. He, God, the Father has lifted up his son to a place, to a position of prominence, power, and prestige. He, he now sits at the right hand of the Father ruling over creation through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, one of the things, one of the ministries of Christ, Talit, while he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, is to make intercession for the saints. And here, here, here's the way we say, Jesus is praying for you. Talit, Jesus already knows your hurt. He knows your sorrow. And so what he's doing right now is he's praying for you even now. Child of God, you ought to have comfort in knowing that Jesus is praying for you. You can make it. You, you can go on. Don't give up. Don't give out. Don't give in. The Savior is praying for you even now. He, he, he's been exalted. And, and then what Peter does, he cites Psalm 110, verse 1, where he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You got to remember that in, in ancient times, the king, was he set it on the throne in a lifted up position. 
When any of his enemies or those who were guilty uh, 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 against the state, they would throw him at the feet of the king. And the king could do with him as he pleased. So he's saying, Jesus is now, who, who is Lord, is sitting in this high and lifted up position. He's going to remain there until God makes all his enemies bow down before him. And he can do whatever he wants to with them. Finally. Fifthly, what else has God done? Last part says that God, verse 36, has made him both Lord and Christ. Y'all, before there ever was any creed of the church, Peter gave us our first creed by saying this, Jesus is Lord. This is significant. Remember, Peter is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience. Lord was a title that they used when they needed to refer to Yahweh. Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, you're saying what? Don't worry about it. It's a five-letter word in the Hebrew. When they got to the term Yahweh, they felt like the name of Yahweh was so holy that it shouldn't even be uttered. Yahweh should not even come out of the mouth. Of a, of a pious, holy, good Jew. And so whenever they came to the name Yahweh, they would just re replace it with Lord. So, essentially, what Peter is declaring is that Jesus is Yahweh. In other words, Jesus is God. Therefore, to call upon the name of the Lord is to call upon Jesus. Now, I, this is for free. I didn't even write this down in my manuscript. One of the things you have to know that was going on in, in, in Greek culture at the time was that people were expected to declare that Caesar was Lord. And so Peter is now saying, no, 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 no. I can't declare that. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So the significance of this is that not only is Jesus God, but the fact that Jesus is Lord means that he is worthy of our complete obedience and our total allegiance. Let's get out of here. So we see the explanation of Pentecost. We see the proclamation of the gospel. Well, whenever there's a proclamation, there must also be an invitation. The gospel is incomplete without a call to response. Without a call to respond to the good news of the gospel. So, so they've heard that these are the last days. God will judge you for your sin, specifically your sin of killing his son. And so they cry out, what shall we do? Here's what Peter says. Text says, actually, verse 37, they've heard this gospel. The text says they were cut to the heart. The Greek is more emphatic. It says they were stabbed in the heart. What caused this? The truth of the gospel. Church, gospel, to gospel someone is to confront them about their sin. Somebody sent a note for me to Joel Osteen and let them know that there can be no gospel without telling about sin, com confronting 
in a gentle and loving way people about their sin. See, what happens is confrontation brings about conviction. That's what happens. That's when he says they were stabbed to the heart, essentially saying they were convicted. What was their sin specifically in this text? Their sin was that they killed Jesus. They killed the Messiah. They killed the Son of God. Without sin, there is no gospel. The word gospel essentially means good news. For good news to be good, there must first be bad news. Church, the bad news for all of us is that we are sinners. And without divine intervention, we stand under the wrath of God. We stand under condemnation. But the good news is that Jesus has fully satisfied God's wrath by his death on the cross. So they say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent. That word repent means to turn in a new direction. It, it, it is to change one's mind. It, it is, I've changed my mind about who Jesus is, and I'm turning to God through Jesus by faith. Now, let me say this. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. There can be no faith without repentance. You, 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 whenever, you, whenever there's faith, a, a, when you put your trust in something, that means I've taken it from somewhere else and put it in Jesus. Repentance. Two sides of the same coin. We repent. Now, the text makes it seem like there's another step before you can be saved because it says repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's something happening there in the Greek, which I don't have time to explain, but, but one way that this could be trans, uh, translated is repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness of sins. I, I, I'm not baptized in order to be forgiven for sins, but I'm baptized because I am forgiven for my sins. Baptism, church, it, it's that public act that proclaims what has already been done in the heart. Here's the, here's the thing you got to realize. For Jews, baptism was their final break with Judaism. It was their, that was them finally cutting their tie with a works-based relationship with God. It, baptism was, it was to tell the world that I've officially transferred my loyalties to Jesus Christ. It was to say I'm all in with Jesus. And for Jews, that, for some Jews, that might have meant being put out of the family. That's why baptism was significant. It was you identifying with Jesus Christ. It was like you are permanently wearing the jersey of Jesus. We should get one of those made up. He's saying, repent, be baptized. But there's more good news in this text. Look at verse 39. He says, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That The good news is it says everyone. At first he says, there's hope for you. There's hope for your children. 
I want that to sink in for some of us right now. There's hope for your children. That's the promise. There's hope for your children. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. He said, there's hope for you. There's hope for your children and for everyone that's far off. At the time, Peter didn't realize, well, he didn't realize, he thought this was just for Jews that were far off. But what we're going to see through the rest of Acts is that's for Jews and Gentiles. You missed a good spot to say, thank you, Jesus. That's you. He says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The good news is that no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how much wrong you've done, no matter the extent of your sin, no matter the extent of your mistakes, no matter what your past is, if God calls you to himself, you will be saved. Then finally, verse 41 records for us the results of Peter's gospel proclamation and invitation. The text says, 3,000 souls were saved and added to the church. In other words, when the gospel was proclaimed, there was this multiplication of disciples. Here's a corporate application for us. If we want to be a church that multiplies, and at the top of our list is multiply disciples, then we must be a church that's Christ-centered, gospel-centered, word-centered. The gospel must be at the core of who we are and what we do. It's because of the gospel that we're going out to clean up our community. The gospel is what defines us as a redeemed community of people. The, the gospel provides us with our identity, not just corporately, but individually. This, this is free right here. You are not your circumstances. You are not your condition. You are not whatever other people say you are. You are who God says you are. You are a new creation, a child of God. One of the things that I'm hoping that my son will come to realize is that I don't have to, 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 to conform to the pressures of people around me, to my friends. But, but, but I am who I am because of the gospel. We, too many of us, we identify by our career, by our status. Our identity is based in or based on us being a good mom or, or a good dad. The gospel is what identifies you. That's where you get your identity from, child of God. I'll be taking up a, a love offering at the back for this free stuff. The gospel is what must drive our mission, which is making disciples of people from every tongue, every tribe. Every people, every nation, every language. The key to multiplication, church, is the gospel. Peter stands flat-footed and he preaches the first evangelistic sermon. The first sermon of the church, Peter, of all people, preaches this sermon. 
And we see the church begin to just explode exponentially. That's my prayer and my desire and my vision for the British church is that we are so gospel-centered and so gospel-driven. Now we will see the multiplication of disciples all to the glory of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back now. They're going to sing one of their two songs that they had planned. And just a few lines of that, by the way. And then we'll prepare for communion. Let us stand. If you are here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, we implore you, we we urge you to make Jesus your choice today. It is not by chance that God sent you to the Bridge Church on this Sunday morning. He brought you here sovereignly so that you were here that you are, you stand under God's wrath. And the only way to be saved is through his son, Jesus Christ, by completely trusting in him. Maybe you're here today. You're saying, Brandon, I'm saved. Have you been baptized? Have you, made, have you publicly identified with Christ? A public declaration about what's happened inside of you. We'd love to help you with that. Mark that on your bridge card. We'll be in contact with you. Thirdly, you know, if you're saved and you've been baptized, if you're saved, you need a local church where you can go and grow and serve. The British Church would love to be that church for you. We'd love to be your family, to love you, to support you, to encourage you, to walk alongside you through all life's journeys, the good, the bad. Our elders would love to serve as your shepherds, to to, to shepherd you through God's word. You need to be connected to a local body of believers. God did not design you to go at it alone. Finally, maybe you said, Brandon, I got all of them. I checked all those boxes. What will you do now with God's word? Are you a witness for Jesus Christ? Are you being motivated and driven by the gospel every day of your life? Let's respond in song.